Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So to go out and just sign one elite pitcher and then do nothing else, that's not going to solve our problems. Our problems were getting deeper into games. And both these two gentlemen pitched a lot of innings last year. You know, one did it on a very competitive team. One got traded to a very competitive club. They both bring not only experience, but the ability to do that. And that's important. As I said, this is not the finish line. It's just a day. We know our work isn't finished. All right, Alex, I've had about 24 hours to think about it. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie T-Bone out today, but he will be joining us coming up in the 1 o'clock hour to make his football picks for the week. That was John Mosellock yesterday discussing the two signings that the Cardinals have made. Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, they're going to be a part of the Cardinals rotation in 2024. After thinking about it a little bit more, Alex, I at least understand the plan. Now, I disagree with the plan wholeheartedly. I think it's silly. I think that they've learned the wrong lessons. But I do understand it, I think, a little bit more. Last year, the lesson that they appear to have learned from the 2023 season was that they didn't have enough certainty. They wanted guys that they knew, okay, we're going into the season and we can write their name in pin for 30 starts. And frankly, they have three of those guys now. Miles Michaelis, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson. Now, I'm not telling you they're going to be great starts, but I'm telling you that they're going to go out there and make the starts. The other lesson that they appear to have learned from the 2023 season is that when these guys go out there and make starts, the Cardinals do not want it to be fewer than five innings. So for all of you old schoolers out there, and I'm not saying you're right or wrong for this, but if you want to see the Cardinals get deeper into games with their starting pitching, these signings should actually be something that you like because that is what they are going to go with. These guys go five plus innings almost every single time out. The guys that they threw out there last year, most notably Jerome, Matthew Libertor, Dakota Hudson, Zach Thompson, they were regularly going like three and a third for the Cardinals. And it put a lot of pressure on the bullpen to be able to hold up those innings. So, Again, this is me just explaining what the Cardinals are planning with this plan. I think that it is a faulty logic. I think they needed to go out there and get more upside. I think they lacked that a year ago. But, Alex, when you hear about that potentially being their plan with these guys, your thoughts 24 hours later are what? That it's all fine and dandy that that's the... That's the focus that you're trying to accomplish of getting deeper into games and having those innings because you didn't have it last year, but you could have done that with one pitcher. 
you could have spent the money on one pitcher to provide those innings for you. Miles Michaelis is that other guy that provides those innings for you. And then allocate the funds to the top of the rotation to get the swing and miss. I just don't know why you needed two of these guys other than you feeling like, well, we're not going to be able to get the top the best. So we need to make sure we can get through games. The part that really bothers me, BK, was the comment that he said last year that he wants swing and miss, that they talked about acquiring swing and miss and changing the mindset of the Cardinals way of not focusing so much on what it has been and what the future looks like. And maybe the future is more about these young pitchers that are coming up, the Hints, the McGreevies, the Graceffos. And this is kicking the can down the road so that these guys can provide that swing and miss stuff. But what you just accomplished, irritatingly for me, and I'm sure Cardinals fans, is you just accomplished what you've been doing for the last five years. Just be good enough to get into the postseason, and then maybe something good will happen. And I'm sorry, but that's not how winning organizations are run. All right, now let me give you some nerdy numbers. This isn't going like a deep dive. This is just innings, earned runs, right? Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson threw at least six innings and allowed four or fewer earned runs. So not even a quality start. Four or fewer, but six-plus innings. 33 times in total last season. So in half of their starts... They went six or more innings and allowed four earned runs or fewer. That's pretty good uh, reasonable expectation from the back end of your rotation. For context, Miles Michaelis did that 16 times last year. Jordan Montgomery did it 12 times last year. The rest of your staff combined, combined, every starter not named Michaelis or Montgomery went six plus innings and allowed four or fewer earned runs 25 times. So these two guys that you just added, did it eight more times than the entire rest of your staff that had, what, 65 starts last year, 75 starts last year combined. So it's pretty good, pretty good by these guys in terms of what they were able to accomplish. The reason why I bring up that criteria, six plus innings, four earned runs or fewer. When the Cardinals starters did that a year ago, the team was 34 and 19. That is a 640 winning percentage. Alex, that is better than the best team in baseball last year when it comes to how often they won games. Your starter goes out there, six plus innings, four and runs or fewer. Cardinals win roughly 64% of the time. That's better than what the Orioles were as a team a year ago. So you were better in that scenario than the best team in baseball was in any scenario. When your starters did not give you that criteria, went fewer than six innings, gave up four and runs or more, the Cardinals were 37 and 72 you won 31% of the time. Again, to put that in context, that is a worse winning percentage than the Rockies, who were the singular worst team in all of Major League Baseball last year. So, the Cardinals appear to be looking at it and saying, okay, if we can get guys at the back end of the rotation that are getting deeper into games, that while it's not great, like six innings, four earned runs is not a good ERA at the end of the year. You're not going to look back at the back, back of the baseball card and be like, hot damn, that guy was great. <laughs> it's not going to look pretty in that way, but it gives you a chance to win. And I think what the Cardinals are saying by these signings with their actions, not their words, is that's good enough for us right now. We want certainty. Miles Michaelis gives us that. Lance Lynn gives us that. Kyle Gibson gives us that. Steven Matz, to a lesser extent, gives us certainty in like the 15 starts that you get out of him. And then Zach Thompson maybe combines with him for the other 15. So, Alex, I think that's their plan here. I think they're just trying to get some bulk innings from the back end of their rotation 
and then they're going to go to the front end, and they're going to sign one more guy. You ain't getting two, which I think they need. You get one more guy, and we're going to put him at the front end of the rotation, and boom, that's going to be it for us. So then let's understand what that means. Your one-two punch this year is going to be player X and Miles Michaelis. And the third best pitcher on this team for the upcoming season is Steven Matz, who barely can give you a full season. And now we're talking about filling those voids by Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. So you're not planning on Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn to be five and six. You're planning on them being three and four at some point this season. So you're exactly right. And welcome to my frustration. 24 hours doesn't do me any justice. Like I just sat on it and stewed on it and got angrier. You're trying to just be good enough. And John Mosaic essentially told you that. Well, you can't build for October if you don't get there. Guess what? The teams that know they're getting to October, build for October. I think what they're doing is a mistake. That is my personal opinion. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. BK, so you've been saying that if the Cardinals don't go out there and get high-level pitching, you will hold them accountable. So now you're coming on here and apologizing for Mo? No. I am trying to explain what the Cardinals thought process could be on this because clearly they're not going out there and saying to themselves, hey, let's not improve the team. They, they're trying to do what they think is best. I think their philosophy on this is outdated. I think they added two guys to the rotation that don't miss a ton of bats. I think they added two guys to the rotation that are going to need to be replaced again this time next year, which means it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They said they had to do this early because of how much bulk they had to buy. Well, guess what, Alex? When you do it this way, it means you will also have to go back to the marketplace this time next year. And guess what you're going to fall into? The exact same situation. Prices are not going down. They are going up for pitching. If you're not willing to match that demand... I don't know what your plan is to get better. It's going to take years to improve and get to a place where your development pitching wise is at the same level of the Dodgers or something like that. It will take years before you get to that place. So there is a lot that still needs to be done. I think they started the offseason in a way that is incorrect. I would not have signed one of Lance Lynn or Kyle Gibson. I would have signed the other. I think one of those guys, perfectly adequate. Signing both feels like you're taking a sledgehammer to the fly without actually hitting the fly we missed it and now we're trying to go out there and take a fly swatter to get it with the number one starter so i think they missed the boat here i wish they would have gone harder on like the top two starters and left it empty at the back end as opposed to filling up the back end and feeling light on the front end we talked about this a million different times all to start out the offseason that's always been my belief system is you can go light on the number five but do not go light at the front end They decided to do the opposite of that. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Bradford Bruns, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Al Avila has been in that chair before as the general manager of a team. What does it take this time of the year to go out there into the marketplace and meet the demand? We'll talk to him about that coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, Daniel Descalso has a bit of a homecoming here in St. Louis. He's going to be your new bench coach for the St. Louis Cardinals. What does he want to accomplish within that role? Talk to him about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Dan Descalzo added as our bench coach. First off, we were excited to get him. He was somebody that we've always had a lot of interest in when he left our organization, knew that he wanted to get back in, into coaching. He's bright, high energy, knows what winning looks like. He will be respected by both players and staff, and we look forward to him joining the Cardinals. 
That was John Mosaloc, the Cardinals president of baseball operations yesterday, announcing the decision to bring back Daniel Descalso, this time as the bench coach on Ollie Marmol's staff. And Daniel Descalso joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Daniel, first of all, congratulations on the new job here in St. Louis. It's good to have you back. How you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, still getting used to new title um but i'm excited to be i'm excited to be back uh in a cardinal uniform sorry bk it's got to be weird daniel to be back in st louis at bush stadium and like not walking around as a player right (laughs) yeah yeah it'll take some getting used to um but it's familiar territory as far as this bush stadium goes and uh I'm looking forward to being back. Take us through this uh, a little bit, Daniel, if you will. Mo mentioned that he reached out to you after the World Series because he wanted to take the time to allow you to enjoy uh, what your team was doing there. But how'd this all come together? Who reached out to you first? And and what was the process like to become the new bench coach for the Cardinals? Yeah, so the the people upstairs and D-Bats told me that that Mo had called and expressed interest in talking about a position on the Major League staff. so obviously was very intrigued by that. Uh, so sat down with uh, with Ollie and Mo over Zoom, and they kind of laid laid out what they what they were thinking. And um, you know, getting the opportunity to become the bench coach of the St. Louis Cardinals and work closely with Ollie Marmel, who I go way back with, um, was just something that that excited me right away. Uh, and just an opportunity that, that's great for me and my family and something that I, I was ready to jump all over. Daniel, one more on the role that you held with the Arizona Diamondbacks. How impactful was that for you to kind of see the other side of, of an organization not being a player that kind of guided you into this bench coach role? Yeah, I mean, the D-backs were, were really accommodating. Um, we figured something out that, that kind of let me do a little bit of everything and explore a lot of different aspects of being on that side of the game. Um, I got to interact with players, um, the AAA and big league level, guys that were kind of up and down, back and forth. I got to sit in on some amateur draft meetings, some uh, trade deadline stuff, do some advanced scouting, and, and then sit upstairs uh, with the front office guys for a lot of the games. So just a, a really good learning experience. Tried to just soak it all in and, and learn what the game is like on the other side, um, you know, besides being a player. So it was really valuable for me to take that take that year and just kind of just learn learn what it takes to do all that stuff. If you don't mind, Daniel, what was what was the biggest thing you took away from that side of it, of of understanding baseball from the other side? Well, I think just the, the constant conversations those guys have upstairs on like a day-to-day basis about roster moves and, and getting ahead of things and, and guys going up and down. And, I mean, it is so much back and forth, and there's so much planning that, that goes on that as a player, you know, you don't worry about all that stuff. You have You have – enough on your plate trying to get ready for a big league game that day that you don't see all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and how decisions are made. So to get a look behind the curtain uh, was pretty cool. Daniel Descalso is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Of course, Cardinals World Series champion, now the new Cardinals bench coach. Daniel, you mentioned you have a history with Ollie Marmel. You guys were in the system together at the same time. So you understand what he's like as a person and now certainly what he's like as a coach. From our experiences with Ollie, he is somebody that almost invites, I I guess I would say, um, discussion that goes back and forth, even if it is at times a little bit more on the heated side of things. That doesn't mean that it always becomes an argument or anything, but he likes inviting the idea of a a back and forth in terms of the banter. What is that going to be like for you in terms of those kinds of conversations with Ollie now that you're on his staff? Yeah, like you said, Ollie and I go way back. Uh, 
we have we have a good relationship already. Um, he's somebody that I trust, and I think he trusts me as well. Otherwise, I don't I don't think I'd be in this position. Um, but like I told a couple other people, I, I didn't I didn't take this job just to be uh, a yes man and, and do all these you know do all these beckoning right. I uh, we we came up in the system at the same time. We know what we know what winning baseball looks like through the same lens. We know what winning players look like. And are there going to be some some discussions that we have where we disagree on things? Yeah, of course. I, I think that that's great. He wouldn't want somebody that just went along with everything that he said. So um, I think we have a good enough relationship where we can have those discussions and lay it out, lay it all out on the table. And he's the manager. He's going to have the final say. And then we move on from there. Have you talked at all with Skip Schumacher about what his experience was like as the Cardinals bench coach? Uh, yeah, I, I picked uh, Skip's brain going through this process. Um, you know, Skip's been a great resource for me in my playing career. And, and now as I've moved on to this next chapter, um, you know, he, he's been through, you know, on the major league coaching staff, uh, you know, bench coach, manager now. So he, he's somebody that, that kind of guided me along through this process. So, Daniel, one of the more important factors, at least from my perspective, when you were announced as the bench coach is you're recently removed from the game. I mean, you were playing with Minnesota back in 2021. You've been a part of teams with bench coaches. How impactful is the role of a bench coach when you've got somebody so closely removed from the game? So, you know, I think the biggest thing the bench coach can do is, is uh, you know, you've got to cover the manager's blind spots. I mean, the manager's being pulled in a lot of different directions. He can't probably can't keep up with every little single thing that he needs to. So that's where I come in covers blind spots. Like I said, if I need to have uh, a tough conversation with somebody that all he can do that, that's going to be part of my job. Um, if I need to build somebody up after they've had a tough conversation with somebody on the staff, that's going to be part of my job. But I think enable in order to do that impactfully, the first thing on my list is, is to just make connections uh, with the staff, with the players, um, as soon as I can make those connections and they, these guys can, can trust me and we can build that relationship, I think I'll be able to have those impactful conversations. You do have previous history with Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Wilson Contreras. You were teammates with Lance Lynn here in St. Louis as well. And, of course, we just mentioned that the uh, relationship that you had prior uh, with Ollie Marmol. How much, if any, do you think those previous relationships will help you with this transition coming back here to St. Louis? Well, I think with, with those names you mentioned, those are you know some of the leaders in that clubhouse, and and I have I have credibility with them already, um, you know. But more important than that, that credibility is going to be able to have like those those impactful conversations with them when when things are going well and when and when we, when we need to have a tough conversation. So to have those relationships in place, I'll be able to get to those those moments and have those impactful discussions more more quickly than if I didn't know those players. So it's going to be great to work with, with those guys. Um, obviously, some of my favorite teammates that I've had over the years, uh, guys that have accomplished a lot in this game. Um, I know Wilson has a World Series and Lance does as well, but you know we would really love to get Nolan and Goldie one. Daniel, you've played over a 1,000 games in Major League Baseball, a 10-year veteran. Hmm. For, for somebody who has seen baseball at the beginning of 2011 and now was playing in it in 2021, what have you noticed about the evolution of the game? I mean, it's changed a lot, right? I mean, the, the basics are still the same. You still have to pitch, play defense, and get timely hits. But um, obviously we, we've seen the strikeout uh, – have a big impact on the game. You have a pitch clock now. The, um, you know, analytics play play a large role. 
um, on a day-to-day basis. So there's just been it's been a constant evolution of the game. Um, I know some people don't necessarily like where the game is where the game is at right now, um, but I, I think some of the changes they put in place this year with with the pitch clock, um, I thought I thought it was great for the game. A lot a lot more action. Uh, sitting in the stands at some of those games, if you look down, you might miss a hole at bat. So, um, so the game has obviously changed, and uh, you know players, staff, front office, they're they're changing along with it. Daniel, I don't know if this is going to be the case uh, in your role here as the bench coach. By the way, we're talking with Daniel Descalso, the Cardinals World Series champion, now the new Cardinals bench coach. He's going to be joining Ollie Marmol's staff for the upcoming season. In the past, they've had that role be something where uh, the bench coach will be at least in charge in some ways of what the spring training process is going to be like. Have you guys had conversations about uh, what your role is going to be in spring training and and how much uh, influence you'll have there? Yeah, that, that's definitely going to be one of uh, one of my assignments is going to be to run spring training. So we haven't quite uh, started to map that out yet. I've got a lot uh, a lot on my plate right now to familiarize myself with with our uh, our system in St. Louis and how we do things. And uh, you know, we Ollie and I have talked about about spring training, and that's that's something that's going to um, be under my supervision. And I'm sure I will get a lot of help from the staff, and it, um, it'll be a group effort. But I'm definitely looking forward forward to having that responsibility one of the big things that i know cardinals fans will be mad if we don't ask you of this daniel is the base running and the defense how how important are those going to be in terms of what your role is going to be i know you haven't done it yet but with what you guys are focusing on throughout the spring yeah like i said earlier you know one of the big parts of the game is taking care of the baseball um obviously the shift was eliminated last year so teams had to adjust that that'll be on our radars how can we how can we play better defense how can we take care of the ball um, especially if we if we have, if we do have a pitching staff that is not lighting up the strikeout numbers and guys are putting the ball in play, then our job as a defense is to catch it. Base running, you know, obviously we don't want to make outs on the bases. We want to be aggressive but smart. Um, so I think that that'll that'll come into play as well. Be a focus. Um, you know, and those two those two aspects, although they might seem like small details, those can show up in the in the box scores and help us win ball games. All right, Daniel, we'll get you out of here on this, and we appreciate you joining us today after the announcement yesterday that you're going to be joining the staff as the Cardinals' new bench coach. You were here for a number of years in the early 2010s. Is there a spot that you're most looking forward to being able to go back to whenever you get back here into town in St. Louis or a restaurant, whatever it might be, something that you're most looking forward to doing uh, once you get back? Um, there's a lot of good spots, a lot of spots that uh... – I'm fond of from my playing days. But, uh, one in particular that stands out that I've I've been back to St. Louis a couple times, and every time I come back, I, I make the trek over to the hill and stop at Adriana's for for a sandwich. Um, can't can't beat it in my book. Um, so that that's definitely a spot I will be frequenting when I'm back there. Fantastic choice by you, Daniel. And now thank you for choosing where I'm eating later on tonight. There you go, <laughs> Daniel. We appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We're excited to have you back here in St. Louis. We'll certainly see you around the ballpark coming up very soon. All right, thanks, guys. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Daniel. It's Daniel Descalso, the new Cardinals bench coach and, of course, 2011 World Series champion, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Highly appreciate him joining us in what is obviously an incredibly busy time for him. Normally, we would react to the interview that we just did, Alex. We'll do that coming up at 1145. We are running out of time. We do have to get (laughs) to Al Avila, the former Major League Baseball general manager. want to get his thoughts on what the Cardinals have already done this offseason and Frankly, what they have left to do. Al Avila, former GM, coming up next year on 101 ESPN.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're happy to go back out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by former Major League Baseball general manager Al Avila joining us here once again on the show. Al, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. Uh, Let's get right into this because yesterday the Cardinals announced a couple of signings, Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson, both on one-year contracts. I'm not going to lie to you, Al. The reception here in St. Louis was at best lukewarm uh, for both of those signings, given the fact that they're both back end of the rotation starters and the Cardinals have so many issues at the front end of the rotation. When you saw that news, what was your reaction as somebody that's been in that chair before? Well, you know, I had the opposite reaction. I'm really a a proponent of those type of signings. You know, when you have steady uh, type veterans that, you know, they're established, uh, they, they know how to go about their business, and they're a good influence on the uh, overall club, uh, and they're a steady presence. I, I think that's always good for a club. And, and, and I, I'm a good – uh, I like one-year contracts, um, and I, I think they're effective. They, they, they actually are, are really good. And in, most, in many cases, they turn out better to, than some of these multi-year – you know, uh, $200 million plus contracts. So, so Al, fr- from a general manager's perspective, is this how the offseason typically works to where you start kind of with those easy deals, maybe you backload the area that's the biggest flaw and then build from there? Well, that is, you know, one philosophy of how to go about it, uh, you know, depending on how many pitchers you need uh, and also – you know, where you're at as an organization, because if you're looking for, you know, a top of the rotation starter and, and that's what you feel is going is your need to kind of take you over the top, get you into the playoffs, but more importantly, you know, uh, win a world series, then you're going to, you're going to really be aggressive. You're going to be aggressive early on um, in pursuing those players. And and you've got to go in with a mindset knowing you're probably going to have to give that extra year and you're probably going to have to, maybe pay a little bit more than the next guy in order to land that top guy. If you're going to go after the top guys, but to your point, you know, it, you, you can work from both ends. You know, you, you, you get what you need right now and, 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 and a Lynn and, and Gibson because those guys are solid. And while you're maybe working on a bigger deal down the road that, you know, it's going to take time for it to develop. We're talking with Al Avila, former Major League Baseball general manager here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Al, when you when you think about the modern game, what immediately comes to mind is strikeouts. And when I look at the Cardinals rotation, there are not a ton of them. Now, I know Lance Lynn ha- has some of that, but Gibson certainly doesn't profile that way. And Miles Michaelis, uh, while being a workhorse, is not anybody's definition of a strikeout artist. Do the Cardinals need to go out and now find somebody at the front end of their rotation that profiles that way in your mind? Well, 
you know, winning clubs, and when I say winning clubs, I mean clubs that uh, traditionally when they get to the playoffs, they can dominate. You know, they have really good, uh, strong starting pitching, and, and, and guys are kind of dominant in that way. Um, you know, so it just depends on how you're putting your club together. So traditionally speaking, you know, you want a yeah a strikeout thrower at the top of your rotation leading the way. So, um, you know, that that's one way that, uh, you know, you, you know, when it gets down to that point of the year, that's when it benefits the most. When you're talking about the full season, 162, you want a lot of those pitchers that will post on a rec- every five days, give you the innings that they need you to give you, to get through the season and give you a chance to win every single day. When you get down to the end, you know, the, the, the playoffs, the world series, that's a whole different game there. That now you, you need the dominant pitcher that to, 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 to take you through. Now in saying that, you know, there's also ways of there's teams where you can, you know, you have, a, if you have a solid defense and you have really good uh, hitting, um, you know, and, and a, in a really strong, strong bullpen, you know, with power pitchers, then maybe you can skim by without having that dominant uh, one-two punch at the at the uh, in your rotation. Al, I'm really glad you mentioned that because it's something that that Cardinals fans have grown frustrated by. And John Mosaylock mentioned this yesterday: how hey, it's really hard to build for October in the fall or in the previous November. Like right now, you're building for the 162, and then eventually you can build for for the October run. As a general manager, how do you square those two things? How can you build for October of next year while also maintaining the importance of what you said, guys that are posting every fifth day for the 162 grind? Well, I mean, the, the Cardinals just did that by signing those two pitchers. Uh, you know, sir, so they're, they're, they're playing that 162 right now as we speak. So if you're able to land, uh, you know, uh, a good uh, dominant type pitcher now, that's great. But you could also trade for one, you know, possibly at the trading deadline, which, you know, obviously depending on the situation and what, you know, you, you might have to overpay for that. Uh, but, again, it, 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 all, it all comes down to, you know, where your club is at that time. You, you don't want to overpay when, you're, when your club is not, you know, in full force of, of going all the way out. So, um, you know, the way I look at it is you've got to be very, very careful – because the the you know you I, I think uh, you know the, looking at the cost benefit, which is I think something that you guys you know had mentioned, of of going after a pitcher you know at the top of the market right now, you get away the 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 risk that comes with that too. Because there's a couple of things that the average person don't you know the average fan they don't even think about they don't care about. Number one, in the past you're able to buy insurance for these pitchers and and where they can pick up at least you know, sometimes 75% of that contract if they get injured and they're out for a year, you know. Well, now it's very difficult to find that that, that insurance con- that insurance uh, to, for a pitcher. And if you do find it, it's usually cost prohibitive where, you know, it's, it's, it's not worth it. So now all of a sudden you're facing yourself like, you know, what happened to Texas with DeGrom uh, and, and New York with, with Rodon, you know, you're paying that full contract. And that is a burden on your, on you and on your team to, to go out and get more, you know, another player to, to, to pick him up. So you always have to have some cash in your pocket for down the road because of an injury. And maybe you have to make a trade down the road to, to supplement your team, to continue it, to, to make your, to allow your team to continue to win. And 
even even better if you have a young pitcher very close to being ready to come up, you know, at some point in the season when you need them. So there's so many things, there's so many factors that go around when you go after a free agent uh, player in general, but pitchers more, you know, obviously more volatile. You, you need to have a lot of things going on, you know, with money prospects, uh, you know, and, and things of that nature. I'm so glad you brought up the, the risk there, Al, because uh, the last time we talked to you on this show, uh, a comment that you made still resonates for me, and you talked about how if you're a team, you have to make sure you know your prospects better than the other team when it comes to making a trade. And it does seem like the Cardinals are gun-shy of making one of those trades because of what has bitten them in the past with the Rosarena and Adolis Garcia. If, in, if you're in those shoes and you know that you're the position to where you've got to get some type of top-end talent. Is it to the point now where, where you might have to pull the trigger on that trade and know what's going to hurt? Yeah, you know, it happens. And 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 quite frankly, sometimes um, you, you end up trading a, a position player. You know, we, we just mentioned, you better know your player is better than anybody. But sometimes, you know, within, you know, you have a player in the organization and you know the, proje- the projection is not there. You, you don't want to do, and nobody wants to do this, and nobody will do it knowingly to, that you're going to trade a player that you feel as, as an organization he's going to be a difference maker, all right. In another year or two, this guy's going to be a difference maker, meaning he's going to be an all-star. He's going to be a, t- a guy that's going to be you know uh, a, a, a part of the nucleus of a winning team. You, you, you know, knowingly, you're not going to want to trade that kind of player. You're going to trade a player or players that you feel, um, you know, it's worth that trade. Uh, but we, as an organization, and you don't say it publicly, you know, we don't feel he's going to end up being that kind of guy. Uh, but at the end of the day, you and I know because we've seen it. We see it every year. Uh, and and I guess the the teams that are, the team that's best at this is Tampa Bay uh, in acquiring those players. Um, sometimes they just. Uh, they, they they turn out to be better than what everybody thinks they are. And, and and sometimes it has to do with development and where they land and the next coach that that gets them and things of that nature. And sometimes it just has to do with the nature of the player as a human being saying, how I got traded and it kind of pisses him off and puts him on another gear of his work ethic and, you know, his learning process. So, so Al, this, it's a fascinating conversation. Is there a, a points from a, a GM's perspective where you feel like you get pushed over the edge where I've got to pull the trigger on this trade? Is it because of a player's upside? Is it because you know that you're desperate for something? Well, one thing as a general manager, you better not ever do, and sometimes it happens, is, is uh, a knee-jerk reaction to, you know, social media pressure, uh, the you know fan pressure. Um, the only thing I think, as a general manager, you better be you know obviously uh, uh, attentive to the most important is your owner. Uh, you know, in, in, in just about every case, your owner gives you your you know your limits of what you can do, uh, and and in some cases even the marching orders of what he wants done. So you have to do the best within that you know within that scenario. Uh, regardless of, you know, uh, what the fans think or what the media thinks, uh, you know, the, 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 the pressure comes, I got to make this deal. If you have certain marching orders, you know, there are certain marching orders at the trade deadline where, you know, you got, you know, your team, your team is struggling. You're not doing well. And the conclusion is, okay, we're not going to get to the playoffs. So 
we got to shed money to bring our payroll down. That, that's it's almost an automatic every year with certain with several teams. Um, and then in the free uh, in the in the winter time, uh, you know, most teams, not every team, but most teams, okay, you're gonna have a budget to work with. So you're gonna have the pressure of this is the amount of money I got. I really want that guy, but that guy is gonna cost me two two times more than what I can afford. And not only that, but I also need you know uh, that guy, but I need this this supplemental player too. So you gotta you gotta put all these puzzles together with what you know you're given. And so that's where really the pressure comes from is you want certain players, but again, you know, the agents have the power in that when you have supply and demand, um, you know, you're going to have to wait it out. And that's where the pressure is waiting it out and, and hoping to get your guy. And that's why I go back originally at the beginning of the rate of the show today is if you, if you target a guy, you know, a top of the rotation guy, you better, be aggressive, be aggressive early, uh, you know, identify uh, the number and knowing that you're going to, you may have to go up a little bit, maybe an extra year, maybe a, few, a couple extra few million dollars if you really want that guy. And um, so you, you got to be ready to step up. Al, we appreciate the time as always, man. I've got one more question for you. Al Avila is our guest here on 101 ESPN, former major league baseball general manager. Uh, there are there are five guys that have really been kind of bandied about as front end of the rotation type of starters that maybe the Cardinals could have some interest in. I'm, I'm curious, understanding that there are different price points here and there's trades versus free agency, but in a vacuum, if you could add one of these players to the front end of the Cardinals rotation, uh, which one would be of most interest to you between Blake Snell, Sonny Gray, Tyler Glass now, Dylan Cease, and Shane Bieber. Those, those five guys have really been the ones that are most discussed with Snell, Gray, Glass now, Cease, and Bieber. Do you have a favorite from that group? Uh, I like Glass now a lot, uh, but obviously, you know, he's not a free agent. So, um, and he's got one more year of service, uh, or should I say, next year will be his last year of mm-hmm. service or, or of his contract. So, I like Glass now a lot. But, you know, again, it's, it's, it's the trading market. So if you wait for that trade, uh, unless you're going to step up and overpay right away, you know, um, you, you usually have to wait out the, the free agent market. So that's going to be that, – that's a really tricky one. Um, I think Blake Snell will be a tremendous signing for anybody. Uh, I would have him ahead. And then, and of course, Sonny Gray uh, has been very steady too. But uh, I would say Snell at this point for me. Al, thanks so much for the time, man. This has been great. We always appreciate being able to catch up with you and getting a former GM's perspective on some of the big news, especially here in St. Louis as they signed a couple of starters the other day. All the best to you and yours as we approach Thanksgiving, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, guys, and Thanksgiving to all of you. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Al Avila, former Major League Baseball general manager, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Also does some stuff for MLB Network now as well. So if you want to check him out over there, you can see him occasionally on MLB Network. I feel like the biggest thing there, Alex, was he's a guy that's been in that chair and he knows what the pressures are from ownership. And he mentioned a number of times, hey, sometimes you want to do something and you got a budget. And you know, okay, well, within that budget, I can't do X, Y, or Z, so here's what I'm going to do instead. One of my theories on how why this offseason is playing out the way that it is is because I believe, my heart of hearts, the Cardinals think they need to add five pitchers to their roster. Now, that includes three starters 
and two bullpen pieces. And I think what happened is the Cardinals are saying, I don't know that we're going to be able to add five if we go big on any one of them, right? And if you get into that scenario and you don't add the five, I think the Cardinals are thinking about it and saying to themselves, we're going to run into the same issues as we did a year ago. So instead of leaving ourselves light in terms of the depth, we are going to make sure that we are good on that side and maybe we're leaving a little bit in terms of the quality at the table. I disagree again with that line of thinking, but at least I can understand philosophically and in terms of what the plan is i can understand how you get yourself there even if i personally disagree with it i i i I get it and i can only speak to this from a outsider's perspective because i've never been in any of these people's shoes but to me you have your marching orders as al avila put it you know what your budget is but if you're the president of baseball operations or the general manager you at least make the effort to go to the ownership group and say, look, I understand that we have a budget. The budget in place is not going to accomplish what we need to accomplish. So from an ownership perspective, you either need to understand that this team's probably going to be average, maybe above average for what we do with your budget, or you're going to have to find me more funds. And I get it. Maybe there's no more funds available. That's running a business. You've got your money. That's it. But if that's the case and, and the funds are, they are, then that's on the ownership group, and I don't know if John Mozeliak should be the only one taking all of the questions. I I agree with you, and I would also add this. I think an underrated storyline that I myself even underrated going into the offseason is the Bally Sports Midwest situation. I I find it to be very interesting that they signed one-year deals with both Lynn and uh, Gibson. Gibson. Now, part of that is just simply age, right? The guys are older. They're going to sign one-year deals. They're not of the quality of the type of pitcher that typically it's two, three, four more years uh, on their contract. But also, I got to wonder, man, are they looking at this and saying to themselves, we have no idea how much longer we're going to get that income from Bally Sports Midwest. And when that goes away, we have no idea what the next income will be on what is our second biggest revenue driving source. So I'm not giving them an out for this. If that is the case, they should say so publicly because then we as fans would be a lot more understanding of, hey, we have this revenue and it might go away within the next six months. We have no idea if or when that's going to happen. I think a lot of fans would look at it and say, okay, at least we understand why you're going about this. Yesterday, Mo was asked about this specifically and flatly denied that that was the case. Flat out said that is not the driving force behind these signings. And if it's not, if, if what I'm saying here is not indeed the case, well, then I, I think they've messed up. Yeah, I, I think that they left and, them and that's the dishonest And that's the dishonesty that has pissed a lot of people off because you say one thing and maybe the driving force is the other. I don't understand the secrets that are needed in that scenario when what you're doing on the surface looks so bad. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. If you guys have any questions for sports or otherwise, we'll get to that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex 
Fox and uh, Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, you can get them in now on the Air Comfort Service text line. From the 573, guys, next year's starting pitching market appears to be better than this year's. Are the Cardinals setting themselves up to make more of a splash next year? No. <laughs> No, no, because guess what? They have to spend money next year, too. That, no. And they're going to have three spots to fill in their rotation next year. Yeah, that's that's not what they're doing. Hold if on. they're going to make a splash, this is the year. Like they've they've never been more set up than mm-hmm. right now to go out there and make the big move when it comes to well, their starting pitching. Maybe market. they'll have a better idea of what their prospects look like and they'll be willing to trade them by then because, you know, one more year of evaluation for Tyler O'Neill. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 618. BK, I know you don't like Thanksgiving food, but what are you going to have as a side and what are you drinking tomorrow? Are you hosting? No. <laughs> You've seen our house? We, well, it looks great, we, man. We live in a, uh, a shack, essentially. No, not. It's. I, I really enjoy our house, but it is rather small. There's no <laughs> chance. With Kara's family being like 150 people deep, there's no oh, chance. That's it would a lot of people. Household. Um I will be doing the typical sides. I'm willing to eat the stuff. Like, I think it's fine. I just think it's overrated. I think people talk about it as if it's like the greatest thing since sliced bread. Thanksgiving food is fine. It It's fine. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, on Gotta the drinking it. side of things, uh-huh. I'm actually going to, going to the liquor store after the show today, Alex, to oh, make yeah? sure that I'm prepared. Picked up from some Yingling earlier today. I brought uh, home some Live Oak beer from our trip down in Austin. We'll be bringing that over. And uh, I'll make sure I get something good on the whiskey side of things as well. So. Tomorrow seems like a good seltzer kind of day. On Thanksgiving? Yeah. Oh, man, that's the warm weather. No, you get that cactus lime. Ooh, oh, my God. That is the opposite buddy. of what I'm looking for. Is that how you're going to get through Cowboys Commanders? Is that the only way? For I the mean, I actually tilt? think the, the games tomorrow have a chance to be entertaining. I don't know how close they're going to be, but. First and third. Cowboys Commanders could be fun. I don't I don't think it's going to be close, but the Commanders are always interesting. They, they'll throw it 100 times over the course of the game. They'll be sacked on 12 of those dropbacks, and it'll be a lot of fun yeah, to watch. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass out from all the food by the time that those games get to the there second half. So uh, just wake me up when my parlay hits. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, where's T-Bone from the T-Bone and Friends show? Uh, he's going to be back Whoa. next week. He is in the land of the white squirrels. Today. He is only living right now. Meemaw's house. And some of that soup. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. From the 314, guys, if the budget was $50 million and they've spent roughly $23 million thus far, they could still get a really good starting pitcher for $27 million, especially with who was non-tendered. There's probably actually closer to $34 million to go get Yamamoto and then trade for another number one. What? First of all, Yamamoto's going to be close to that $34 million, and the way that they account for things, uh, he's got the posting fee, which is going to take up all and more of that money. So I don't how the go out on a limb and say that's probably not the case. How the hell did they get to that math? So here's the problem. If the Cardinals really do want to add multiple relievers the way that they have suggested, those are going to cost at least $10 million combined between two relievers, and that's going on the light end of things. It leaves you roughly $20 million for that final starter. Gray, Glassnow, Cease, Bieber. Here's your options. Gilbert. If you want to give up Tink Kentz, Nolan Gorman, maybe a little more. Fine by sure. me. You can go that route as well. 
But one, I'm the idiot. One thing that I am very curious about is how the way they're going about their rotation, not having a whole lot of swing and miss, feels like the defense is going to be pretty important. And uh, well, the good thing is they figured out how to play defense at the end of the last season. Did they? Yeah. Okay. That's that's what I that's what I thought most said. I, I'm sure, just like last year with Dusty Blake, it was like, oh, Jake Woodford's going to be a strikeout guy now. Dakota Hudson figured it out. He's got a hey, slider. You bought those goods. You came back from winter warm-up and it, told us that Dusty Blake's going to fix these yeah, guys. Dusty Blake had everything on his plate. You know what's going to happen this offseason? Daniel Descalso's back, boys. The fundamentals are back. And I think he can help. I really do. I think Daniel Descalso's going to be a very nice addition to the staff. I think they... They just need better players. Like, they need guys that are good defensively to be a good defensive team. Pretty sure that the guy that everybody is clamoring for when the defense fails, like, literally works with these guys from start to finish in spring training. Alongside Alex and Bradford, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, how does this offseason feel if they do end up adding an ace to the rotation? Does it change the way we're feeling today if they had one more starter and it is a legitimate ace? We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What we don't want to end up doing is saying we were counting on X, Y, and Z, and then we're ended up being disappointed. And so we're trying to get a, a little bit more sure-handed, a little bit more bird in hand, so we know that when we go out and play each day, we have a chance with that starter. That was John Mosaloc yesterday. Do you, though? Of course. <laughs> okay, good. When Lance <laughs> Lynn's on the mound, you got a chance to win. When Kyle Gibson's on the mound, you got a chance to win. Alongside Alex and Bradford, I'm BK. you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the Cardinals are building from the back to the front. That's what they're trying to accomplish. Now, you might not like it. I frankly don't. But, again, yesterday I gave all of my thoughts. You, you guys know where I stand on this. I, I think they're making a mistake. I, I don't like the direction that they're headed with the rotation. I would rather add two front-end starters than three mid-rotation starters to add to the depth. I I think that's going about things like you did 15 years ago as opposed to going about things the way that, you know, every other contender does in 2023. That being said, Alex, I went over to the nerdy nerd numbers yesterday, and I thought to myself, all right, maybe I'm overreacting. <laughs> BT came on the air. He's like, hey, these are good signings. I, I heard Randy this morning. He's like, ah, it's fine. They're, they're fine starters. So maybe I'm the one that is out of place here. So I went over to the projection system on Fangraphs. They've got some projections out right now on what they expect pitchers to do in 2024, right? Now, projections are not infallible. Just like us, when we use the eye test, they're only as good as their inputs. So if they have something that you think is wrong, if you think that a guy is just going to like if Lance Lynn for example if last year was the start of a serious decline for Lance Lynn Cardinals are screwed there's no way around it the projections don't see it that way they view it as more of an outlier as opposed to the start of a trend so Alex as I was looking through what the Cardinals current projected top four starters would do Michaelis Lynn Mats, Kyle Gibson they're projected to combine for roughly 700 innings and a 4.3 ERA next year it's honestly not bad if you get that out of them, I think if you told me right now I can hit a button and it will lock those numbers in for those four starters, I think I would probably do it because I think there's a pretty good chance it ends up not going as well as that. If you're a wins above replacement fan, those pitchers are combined for roughly almost nine wins above replacement next year. 
The reason I bring that up is because like, I think the Cardinals need to have roughly a top 10 rotation next year to be a real contender. So what do they need to do in order to get there based on what they currently have? So I looked into this, Alex. I did some math. It's oh, tough, but we got is, there. This is where it gets good, guys. The 10th best rotation in baseball this year had roughly 860 innings from their starters, a 4.1 ERA, and about 11 wins above replacement from their starters. To ver- to simplify this, the Cardinals would need to add a number one starter that projects next season for 165 innings, little above a 3 ERA, and 3 wins above replacement in order to add to their current group of 4 to meet what last year's 10th best rotation was able to produce. It's really hard to get there with the starters that are currently available. No. The only guys that fit the criteria that I'm talking about here, really, are like Tyler Glasnow and Blake Snell. It's the end of the list. If you add those two guys to the front end of your rotation based on what they currently have, you'd pretty much get to the projections of where the 10th best rotation was last year. And Alex, I got to be honest with you. If they added Glasnow or Snell to the front end of this rotation... I could kind of see the logic, even though I still think you're a little light at the front end of your rotation. As long as you are then willing to be aggressive at the deadline, you could convince me that it could work. I don't love it, but you could convince me of that. When you hear all of this, hey, if they add Glass now or Snell, they could project to be roughly the 10th best rotation in Major League Baseball. How does that make you feel as a fan? I mean, look, being the 10th best rotation in baseball, you're putting yourself in a position to... Be a postseason team. Specifically, I think you're putting yourself in a position to win the NL Central because you've got the offense. I'm hoping that the road, the uh, the bullpen gets fixed, but the 10th best rotation is a really good spot to be in. And if you sign a glass now or Snell, I'm not going to be upset about that because, frankly, those moves are something that I am very skeptical that the Cardinals will do. So if you do it, great. You've put yourself in a position. But do your your fun math, your deep dive, when one of those guys isn't there and Zach Thompson is the one that's the fifth starter. Because this is my problem, and it's not so much of the signings that you did. It goes back to what we talked about. You only needed one of these guys. Because what happens when you trade for Tyler Glass now and he only gives you 150 innings? Because, cool, the projections are 165. Let's be real, and it's going to be somewhere between 130 and 140. Let's Blake Snell, 171. Let's be honest, not sure he's going to be getting you that, whether it's health or not going deep enough into games. So when one of those guys isn't there for you, this is why you needed a one and a two. Because when one of these guys are gone, now you fall back to Miles Michaelis, Steven Matz, who also can't be there for you all season long, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, and your depth. That's where my problem lies in all of this. I want the 10th best rotation from last year because that's putting yourself into being one of the top teams in the NL Central. The problem is I don't trust them to get the guy, and when you get the guy, you don't have enough insurance to get you to the playoffs. For those that are curious, because we got a few of these texts, and it's, it's a fair one, um, BK, who are, the, who are the teams that are around this range in terms of the 10th best rotation in baseball last year? There, there's a few teams that are all kind of basically the same from last year, but the eight through 12 best rotations in terms of ERA in Major League Baseball last year were, let me make sure I've got this correct. Yep. The Miami Marlins, Cleveland Guardians, San Francisco Giants, Baltimore Orioles, and Houston Astros. That's the company you want to be keeping when it comes to your rotation. Now, not all of those teams ended up having a well-rounded 
uh, team, right? Like some of them offensively were atrocious. Miami was not good offensively last year. Clay- Cleveland couldn't hit the baseball last year. Certainly couldn't hit it over the the fence. San Francisco had some real issues when it came to position players. But Baltimore, Houston, both really good teams. If you end up in a conversation with those teams next year in terms of what your rotation produces, we're going to be really happy with the way that the season went. I'm with you, Alex. I just don't believe these projections. I don't think that what you're going to be getting out of specifically Blake's or excuse me, specifically Lance Lane is as good as what the projections are currently leaning towards. Like they have him projected for 180 innings and a 4.3 ERA. How quickly can I sign up for that? Because I would love for that to be what you get out of him. I don't believe it. Kyle Gibson, 170 innings, about a 4-3 ERA. That I believe. Miles Michaelis, 195 innings, 4-5 ERA. I could totally buy into that. Steven Matz, 145 innings in a 3-9 ERA. I believe the ERA. He's been pretty good when he's been healthy for the Cardinals. I have no reason to believe that he's going to give you close to 150 innings next year. He hasn't been able to stay healthy since coming over to the Cardinals. So... I do think they are still light in terms of both quantity, frankly, and quality, and that is not a good place to be in with your rotation. But if you told me that these projections ended up being correct, we play it out, the season ends up going kind of the way that the projections see it. If they were to add a number one starter and Glass now or Snell to this mix, I think that's the way that you make it work. And I don't think you can go any lower than that. I think it has to be one of those two guys because you desperately need swing and miss right now, dude. Your rotation in terms of the strikeout numbers, right now projects to be, I would assume, the worst in Major League Baseball in that regard. You've got to add some swing and mess to this. The step. problem with what you did with this mindset is you you wanted to protect yourself on the back end with the innings, but you didn't protect yourself in the front. And if you don't get Snell, or if you t- can't trade for Glass now, or if you don't get Yamamoto, well, now you're having to trade a larger asset from your offense to acquire the pitching that you desire. And now your offense takes a step backwards. And frankly, you've built this team now where your offense is going to have to win you games almost every single night. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we haven't talked about him yet today, but the Blues are back in action tonight against the Coyotes down in Arizona. This is the beginning of what could be a separation weekend for the Blues against other Central Division foes. We'll discuss what that means for them coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you what two scenarios rather. We'll tell you which one is more likely. Just one here on BK and Ferrario. It's kind of like the Cardinals. They just, just yeah. needed one. No, 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 no. just one, needed guys. one of those We're two. Guys, more likely to happen. We get to the end of next season and we say, you know what? The Cardinals going with this depth over quality decision was a good idea. Or we get to the trade deadline next year and the Cardinals are once again looking to add more depth. Oh, it's absolutely more likely that they're looking to add more depth because one or both of the guys that you signed to be depth won't be available before you come trade deadline time. Oh, come on, man. You're predicting injury now? No, I'm not predicting. I'm predicting a 37 and a 36-year-old that you're hoping can give you 200 innings can't give you 200 innings. Exactly. And you're going to say, oh, well, I didn't see this coming. Really? 
You just witnessed it with Adam Wainwright. Sooner or later, the other health shoe, you would have to think, is going to drop. And going back to the projections that you revealed in the last segment, BK, the fact of the matter is that Lance Lynn, for example, the best of what you saw last season with the Dodgers, he barely sniffed a 4.3 ERA at that stage. I Maybe he, that. well, exactly. <laughs> for the entirety, I would. <laughs> for the entirety of a season, Sounds good great. luck with that. Good luck. That's a number five. I'm, I think that's exactly what they're going to the get out of Or the Cardinals are a number three. Buddy, I'm thankful that Lance Lynn is a Cardinal. Are you? Ah, thankful that we got Gibby. I mean, look, you broke in the middle of our show to give an update on his starting pitching in like July. Again, I think either one of these guys would have been a more than adequate signing. I mentioned to you guys during the break. Did you know Lance Lynn had a greater swinging strike rate last year than Shohei Otani? Okay. More swing and miss stuff last season than Shohei Otani. People are all over here talking about Otani being the best star- best guy available this off. Had, did they not watch Lance Lynn? Did you know Kyle Gibson has the same last name as a former Cardinals Hall of Fame pitcher? See, you get it. You did, get it. Did you know that Shohei is not available to pitch in 2024? So both of Keep these going. guys technically are going to be better than Shohei Otani. Yeah, man. I got I mean, one Kyle for you. Gibson had a better swinging strike rate last year than uh, not Logan Gilbert, the ace for the web. Yeah, Logan Webb. How about that? I mean, they signed two studs. What more are you guys? I don't understand why you guys are asking for so much. Okay, your sarcasm actually pisses me off. I'm serious, I feel, like, feel like I'm sitting in another they John Mozilla like press the conference. Team. They fixed the team. Yeah. They, technically, they're they going to go out there. They're going to get Blake Snell, and then they're going to say, you know what? <laughs> Enough of you. We have a good rotation with five legitimate established starters. And if that's not enough for you, Alex, wait until TK Roby's next year ready i guess you would say that we'd be happy with little mo if that does take big place mo this time big and little mo just big mo big mo is out here look if you're happy with big mo big time addition if you're happy with big mo fiddling with the knob the knobs then you got to be happy <laughs> with little no cardinal's gonna be doing some knob there, fiddling there's gonna be a lot of knob fiddling this offseason big mo are you back in columbia bk big mo and little mo uh, alex what do you got uh, for right, us buddy? more likely to happen blake snell and sunny gray pitch like all-stars or the Cardinals get an all-star invite from one of their rotation arms I mean it's more likely that Blake Snell or Sonny Gray pitch like all-stars let me rephrase this one okay trying to understand where you're coming from here Blake Snell or Sonny Gray win a Cy Young no or the Cardinals get an all-star vote for one of their road or all-star pitcher author team yeah, I think it's more likely the Cardinals have a pitcher from their rotation that is in the All-Star game. Did you know Kyle Gibson was in the All-Star game two years ago? <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm serious. No. That happened. No. I mean, Martin Perez was an All-Star two yeah, years ago. Yeah, because he was on the Baltimore Orioles and they had to have an All-Star. No, I don't think he was, he was even on the Orioles. Who was he on? Was he on the White Sox or Detroit? No, I'm Gibson. Yeah. Who was, whose team was he on? Uh, He was... <laughs> On Texas. It was on Texas. Was he? Two yeah. years ago. Yeah. You remember that Texas team two years ago? They weren't very good. <laughs> so they had to have some representative, right? I think they had multiple. I don't know that to be true, but I'm gonna go on the line. I think I think they had multiple all-stars that year. I'm done. Oh god. I think Ian Kennedy might have made it out of the bullpen <laughs> that year as well. Oh. Oh, I'm good. Ian, on that, hey, Ian Kennedy, is he available? He is. I think he retired, actually. Oh, well, maybe the Cardinals could talk him out of it, you know, because innings yeah. and support. No, it's a good point by you. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I do. You after... don't believe that. You don't believe that one of the the Cardinals' starting pitchers could be an all-star. 
I do. I, I absolutely do. It, all it requires is you to have a good half of the season. Like, I think they're going to sign one more guy, man. I think there's a I think there's a pretty decent chance they trade for Tyler Glass now. And if Tyler Glass now is a good start to the season, he could absolutely be an all-star next year. Was Michael Walker ever an all-star? I don't think so. Oh, well, this will be his year then. Yeah. I, again, I, most of what I'm saying here is, oh, he is tongue-in-cheek. With the Redbirds. He was an all-star in 2015, BK. How did you not know that? Yeah, I mean, the 2015 Cardinals is basically the rotation I, that they're trying to build up I again. I already see the tweet now. Former Cardinals all-star back with a rotation. Sure. Why not? Do you have anything for us today, Bradford? I do. Let's stoke the fires a little oh, bit, Jesus, gentlemen. Bradford, make it positive. Damn it. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> More likely to happen. Mike Schilt oh, or oh, Ali yeah. Marmol qualifies for the postseason oh. in 2024. Oh, this is easy. Is that? Is it? Yeah, it's Mike Schilt. Did Who's you on see? his roster? He just said they're going to play with more swag this season. Yeah, I know. So. Bob Melvin couldn't provide the swagger for the Padres, and now Mike Schilt, the swaggiest of all of them, is going to allow Tatis Jr. and Machado to let the swag fly. Seems counterintuitive. No. Okay. No. Mike um, Schilt is the swaggiest manager out there. I, I, I know people are going to push back on this, and that's fine. I'm really concerned about what's going to happen with the Padres this upcoming season. I, I don't know who's going to be on the roster next year, and I do think they're going to shed significant payroll during the offseason. Juan Soto is almost certainly going to be traded. I would assume that by the trade deadline, they're going to continue moving more pieces off of their roster because they need to shed more salary. So I think it's more likely that Ollie Marmol ends up in the playoffs next year. This is not some stance of like the Cardinals are going to win 100 games. I, I don't believe that. I think they're going back to the path of trying to win 90. I think that's what these signings have suggested thus far is they're just trying to get in and hopefully get through, get hot at the right time, right? They're trying the Diamondbacks formula as opposed to the Rangers formula. And I think they could absolutely do it. As much as I'm down on this Cardinals offseason thus far and what they've done, I, I think they could make the playoffs, yes. I, I'll... I know what I said, tongue-in-cheek sarcasm, if you didn't get that. It is more likely that Ali makes it, because to me, the Padres, even with Mike Schilt, still don't... I don't know what their identity is going to be. If you're trading Juan Soto, you're not bringing back Blake Snell, you're really not dominant in one area. Josh Hader's not coming back, whereas... I'm not saying the Cardinals are dominant in one area, but if they were, I would take their offense over what the Padres' offense is going to look like because of top to bottom compared to the Padres in the middle. So I'll say it's Ali Marmol. Plus of what Bowden said too yesterday to where like Cincinnati is going to be the dark horse. You've got the Cubs, but we're talking about two teams that are going to be fighting for like 90 something wins, which I'd put the Cardinals in there. And serious question. Realistically, how does San Diego fill out that starting staff? It's a fair question. Uh, yeah. Michael Waka probably. I'm, Waka, Seth Lugo, both leaving there. They yeah. they don't have Nick Martinez anymore. Like they've got some serious pitching concerns going into this upcoming year. And if we know anything about Mike Schultz, and I, I think he is a good manager and will do a good job there, generally speaking. He'll clean things up fundamentally, although people don't really look into it. But last year they were actually a pretty damn good defensive team. Um I do have some concerns about them not having the creativity to be able to patch over those innings issues because that was something that was a big frustration here in St. Louis when Mike Schilt was the manager is, hey, if he if he doesn't have a legit starter, 
how is he going to fill these innings? I remember two years ago when the Cardinals went up to Wrigley and they needed to figure out a way to get through those games. And they were basically patching it together with three innings at a time from different pitchers. They got it from Zach Thompson. It was like one of the first times that we saw him. Hennessy Cabrera gave him a few innings and then they would just piece things together. It was one of the most impressive weekends of managing that I've seen from Ollie Marmel. That would not have happened with Mike Schiltz as the manager here in St. Louis. That's the kind of thing he might have to do, though, next year with that rotation that they're going to have in San Diego. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to dive into the junk drawer. But next, the Blues are playing what is essentially a separation weekend against Central Division opponents. Are they up for it? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. are back in action tonight alongside Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Bradford Bruns working the board for us today. Tanner Hendrickson is back in the land of the white squirrels. He'll be back in next week. Only Illinois where he's from is where he is. Uh, I really wanted to make a sound, this, a squirrel sound. I don't know what squirrels sound like. <laughs> Something like that? Kind of like what Tanner like sounds like range. on the radio. <laughs> there you go. Well played, sir. I mean, my right picks today. So by the time that we end up make, or, uh, back on the radio on Monday, Alex, the Blues will have played three games. They'll all be against central opponents. Arizona on the road, Chicago on the road, and at home on Friday night against Nashville. Friday so, afternoon. At home on Friday <laughs> afternoon against Nashville. Of course, Black Friday, right during the same time as the Missouri Tigers are playing. Oh, so you'll be watching Blues I'll hockey. I'll be locked in on, Come on man, it's, one of those two games. It's Arkansas. So, Alex, this kind of feels like a separation type of a weekend. Where early in the season, you've got the ability to kind of put, your, put a little distance between yourself and some of these teams that are currently a little behind you in the Central Division. Here's the problem. Blues haven't been very good at taking care of business within the division so far this year. They've been good against the Eastern Conference. They've been excellent against the East. They have yet to lose, in fact, against the Eastern Conference. Against the division, though, 2-4-1 so far on the season. How are you feeling about the Blues going into these specific matchups? I'm looking forward to it because what these matchups are going to do are prove if you're the upper tier of that middle tier that Doug Armstrong talked about, the playoff team, or if you're still in the murky middle, that is the Western Conference. Because we've seen them play decent games against Colorado and Dallas. You haven't been good against Winnipeg. You've played 50-50 with Arizona. Vancouver, you were bad. L.A., you were okay. Anaheim, eh, you were good. The teams that I'm most interested in, like Arizona right now is a 50-50 shot. Because I think Arizona's in the same spot as the St. Louis Blues. is Trying to be a playoff team. They're starting to exit out of this rebuild and starting to compete. But... If you could pick up two points against Arizona, well, now you've separated it by three with a game in hand going into Thanksgiving. And a lot of people say, if you're in a playoff spot come Thanksgiving time, you're in a good spot to be in. But more importantly is the Nashville on the Chicago Blackhawks game. I don't think you got to worry about Chicago, but you don't want to do to Chicago what you did to San Jose. Good point. Nashville's the one for me because Nashville, for some odd reason, people still believe can figure it out. If you pick up two points against Arizona and then beat Nashville on Friday... Well, now you've eliminated that middle or bottom tier that Doug Armstrong wanted to be. They're in. figuring that out. It's very clear, Alex. They've won two in a row. Have they? Nashville. Yeah. Oh, wow. Chicago and Colorado. You, you can't stop them right now. They're dangerous. Two straight wins. They've got Calgary, so you know they're coming in with three straight victories. Uh, whenever they do end up coming here to St. Louis on Friday afternoon, when the Predators come to town, that's a dangerous and team. They were supposed to be what the Blues have been. 
That was what they were they supposed were, yeah. to be in Nashville. Whenever we would talk to anybody nationally, they'd be like, man, when you look at the Central Division, I just it's going to be hard for the Blues because you've got the Stars and the Avalanche. Everybody assumed they would be at the top of the standings, and they are. Those have been the two best teams so far. And then people were like, and then if you're looking for the third best team in the division, I, I think it's clearly Nashville because what they were able to do this offseason was add in a little bit more of that veteran presence. And defensively, you always know what Nashville is going to be, right? Well, here's the problem. It hasn't been that way so far this season. If you look at what they're getting from their goaltending, it's not been particularly good. You say Soros has an 892 save percentage. He's doing his best 2022 Jordan Bennington impression right now. They're not getting consistent goaltending. The defense has not been as good as it has been in the past. If you're able to put them even further behind you, they might be in a spot similar to where the Blues were last year. Man, they had just lost, what was it, six out of their last seven games prior to this two-game winning streak. That sounds like a streaky team to me. Sound familiar, Alex? Yep. We know what that looks like. When the peaks are really nice, but the valleys are so incredibly low, it's hard to pull yourself out of a 5-10 and 10 start to the season, and that's what Nashville had. The Blues need to continue doing what the rest of the league has done to them thus far, which is just bury them. Yep. Bury them early so then they get to the trade deadline and think to themselves, there's no reason for us to continue to push. This is clearly a retool year for us. Let's send off some of our assets, and we'll just play over 2025. Here's the difference. Nashville's the team that you need to put distance yeah. between yourself and them. Absolutely. And whenever you play Minnesota, which I'm not sure when that first game against Minnesota is, that's another team that you do have to put away because you want you don't want Minnesota to think that they've got some life right now. You've got the best goaltending of any team, goaltending tandem of any team in the Central Division right now. You've allowed 47 goals, which is less than everybody else in the Central Division. And other than L.A., Vancouver, and Vegas, you've got the best goaltending among all of those teams. In the Western Conference, the only teams that have been better in save percentage this year are Vegas and Vancouver. Yeah, and that's an area that you can exploit against the Nashville Predators team. Your defense has been very good. The difference in these few games coming up is going to be how your offense performs against these teams. And if you've got the mental attitude to get back into hockey games, because at some point between Arizona and Nashville, you're going to be trailing. And when you're trailing, can you get back in against these teams? So, Alex, one of the players that's been key in getting the Blues back on track offensively has been Pavel Buchnevich, especially on the power play. I think they have four goals on the power play this year, and Buchnevich has three of them. Uh, He's the only thing that you have going for you right now on the power play. Well, in the last week and a half, he had three goals against Colorado. He had two assists against Tampa Bay. He had a goal against San Jose and then had another goal against Anaheim. That is one hell of a five-game stretch right there. Five goals, two assists. That's the player that we know Buchnevich to be. This is a potential pre-agency year for Pavel Buchnevich. And what I mean by that is he has one more year on his contract after this season. This in the NHL is more or less a walk here because we saw what happened with Calgary and teams are now getting aggressive. If they don't think they're going to re-sign a player, they will trade him the offseason before he becomes a free agent so they don't lose him for nothing. Think back to the Ryan O'Reilly experience. Do you want to do that again? Probably not. With what we've seen from Buchnevich this year, how he fits into this system, what he means to this team, there was a great piece earlier today on The Athletic by Jeremy Rutherford as well on how he fits into the locker room. Do you think he's a guy that they are planning to build around, Alex, long-term? He should be. If you're not planning, he needs to be the guy you're planning around. My my only concern with that is, of course, the age. And we know how Doug Armstrong feels about guys once they hit 30 years old. But 
After reading JR's piece, we've talked so much about locker room chemistry in the last couple of years, and ah, the vibe just doesn't feel right. You brought in Kevin Hayes, and you're thinking, oh, he's a great locker room guy. Booch seems to be that guy where everybody kind of gravitates towards, especially when things are bad, and we've heard him before. The guy's hilarious. But more importantly, I think back to what Ken Hitchcock told us yesterday, and if you missed it, go, go check it out. It was a phenomenal interview, but he talked about a coaching consultant with the Blues, how there were certain things that were non-negotiable when he was a head coach that you couldn't you couldn't skimp on. And if you did, you were going to find yourself on the bench. And he said, Berube has a lot of those in him. Pavel Buchnevich plays with those non-negotiables. And I don't know exactly what they were, but if I had to guesstimate, it would be heavy on the forecheck, focusing on the defense, and making sure you're always making the right plays to set up your teammates. Buch does all of those. Craig Berube has said he's the best 200-foot all-around player on the team. That's the type of guy you got to build around especially if Thomas and Kyrou are the cornerstones. You've got your defense hopefully figured out once some of those contracts disappear and the salary cap's going up over the next couple of years. You lock up a Pavel Buchnevich so that you know at least one line is set in stone and then the, the development of your prospects and the hope of you making an aggressive move within the next couple of years to bring in another NHL-ready player, that's how you exit out of a retool faster like the LA Kings did. Blues and Pavel Buchnevich back in action tonight. On the road in Arizona, Alex Ferrario will have the pregame coverage for you starting at 7 o'clock. That's all right here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. You will also have action on Friday afternoon against Nashville and then again on Sunday. Noon slate there for Alex in terms of the uh, the pregame show, and then he'll have the action coming your way starting on Sunday at 1 o'clock. And Blues fans, you can join Donnie Fandango and Jamie Rivers for a special live taping of the Last Minute Blues podcast. This is coming your way next Wednesday from 6 to 8 o'clock at Twin Peaks in Maplewood. You can hang out with Donnie and Jamie from 6 to 7, enjoy some of those Twin Peaks local craft beers, the handcrafted whiskey cocktails, and so much more. And then from 7 to 8 o'clock, the guys will cover all of the latest hockey news during a special Live last minute blues podcast taping. This is all coming up next Wednesday, a week from today at Twin Peaks in Maplewood. Coming up next, it's time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Folks, I don't know about you, but... When I go out to fast food, I'm typically going, you know, Chick-fil-A is one of my top options. Love I'm it. going fast casual, one of Crazy Bowls or Chipotle, maybe Kidoba. That's kind of my my typical spots that I'm going to. Okay. But I like it. When I go there, it's pretty quick in and out for me. I'm, I'm getting the food that I need and heading right back home. Yeah. Apparently for some others, that's not necessarily <laughs> the way that they operate at a fast food joint. That's very true. Um... Let's just, we've all been to office Christmas parties, right? Sure. Everybody's been a part of them. Bradford, I know you're you're the life of the party well, sometimes. I think they no used doubt, to have no them here. I think they used to be during the day, but uh, I never Mike went. Ryder got too wild, and they said, guys, we got to cut this Correct. thing off. Well, it didn't get as wild as it did. <laughs> we used to have one, by the way, at a station that I worked at in Columbia. They would go down to the Lake of the Ozarks for a weekend. They had to stop having them because of what took place. There was too much liability. Believe and it. 
I will allow your imagination to go wherever you want to right now. That probably happened at these parties. Well, I whatever it is that you're thinking of, yes, that too. Well, let's find out because uh, we found a party, gentlemen, that um, got real wild at a Taco Bell out in uh, Texas, I believe this is. San Pedro. That's Texas, right? Sure. Okay, sure. San Pedro, wherever that is. Just gonna read the the news story to you guys, and you let me know. Uh, let me know if this Los pa- Angeles. Okay, San Pedro, Los Very Angeles. Very close. I've never been there, but it's on the East Coast, I would imagine. Not west. Okay, so according to an employee, her, her sister, and her sister's partner all attended a potluck-style Christmas party at the invitation of their supervisor at this fast food chain. Sure. Upon arrival, where the celebration was held, the in, the individual noticed that the windows were covered. With wrapping paper. Oh, my. As well as the cameras inside the restaurant. Sure, celebrating the holidays. Absolutely. You're shutting down the day, and, and you're, you're going at it, you know, literally or figuratively. Uh, this individual claims that several of the employees were overserved at the celebration around midnight, and she witnessed a co-worker, quote, having sex with his wife in front of everyone at the party. Got real. It got real weird. And that's not even the wildest part. She was shocked, disgusted, and outraged at what she saw Naturally. and how it w- was overrun by immature employees. She returned to retrieve the guacamole bowl she brought to the party, only to find that somebody... Because when I see my coworkers <laughs> having sex, my first thought is, I need to go get the guac that, that I, I brought. brought. <laughs> I've got to get out of here. Family recipe. She went to get the guacamole bowl and walked into two individuals that were, quote, bent over and kissing over the guacamole bowl while one vomited in the bowl <laughs> did she grab the bowl <laughs> it doesn't say if she grabbed the bowl like at that point you leave the bowl and you're like you know what bleep it i'm out i'm out that's enough i've i've seen i have heard i have felt enough that is the end of my night i felt enough i don't think they did so this party just to reiterate you think your christmas party is wild uh there was a group orgy taking place in the back of the restaurant of course one individual's partner that she came with was having sex with another random individual. That's right. <laughs> and while two were, quote, bent over in the back, one vomited in the qu- in the guacamole bowl. Hmm. Uh, so the the lawsuit is ongoing with this Taco Bell and San Pedro. There's a lawsuit. There's, absolutely, there's a lawsuit. What's the lawsuit I for? Don't know. I, reckless party? I have no idea. I don't think there should be a lawsuit here. I she, think this is just like, hey. The lawsuit states that after an investigation, she claimed that after they were fired, someone associated with the fired parties retaliated against her by smashing her car window, calling her stupid and you bleeped up. Yeah, I mean, that that's fair. That feels like that's worth it. I thought they like had a lawsuit for throwing up in her guacamole. Guys, that's not a while. Uh, in poor taste, literally and figuratively. Well, it was mm-hmm. poor taste. Uh, that, that is not something that I'm I would even, assume you could sue for. I'm not even sure that the vomiting in the in the guacamole bowl would be the part that pissed me off. It was what was happening above the guacamole bowl. No, definitely you, the vomit in the guacamole bowl. That would do it for me. I think you'd probably just get rid of that bowl, right? Yeah, oh, of course. Like you just leave it and you say, you guys keep How it. How much guacamole do you think that she brought to this and why, party, by the way? And why are you bringing guacamole to a party at Taco Bell? I mean, don't they already have guacamole? I'm sure they do. You just don't like Taco Bell's guacamole? Oh, no, I'm sure she thought to herself, hey, we're having a Mexican food-inspired holiday party. 
my favorite Mexican dip is guacamole. I'm going to bring the guac that I need to bring to the party. Make that from scratch. <laughs> do, do you walk into that party and you're just like, oh, so this place is off the chains right now. I feel like at that point, you know exactly what you're walking into. And frankly, if you walked in and you knew what was taking place while you were there, and then you got upset about what was taking place, what do you think? The publicist for Taco Bell says, while we don't own or manage this location, the franchisee who owns and operates this restaurant has shared that they take these claims very seriously. Sure. <laughs> I guess those employees uh, took Liv Moss a little too close to the heart. Yeah, I don't, care. I don't care how many coupons you hand out. I don't think there's any way to make up for this one. Would you ever order guac from that Taco Bell restaurant if you know what it happened? It wasn't even theirs. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. It didn't get mixed in with the other guac there. Somebody said cops came in and said, holy guacamole. I don't understand this. Coming up next. (laughs) How does the Cardinals current rotation compare with what the Rangers entered the 2023 season with? We'll discuss it coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I don't know. I've been part of teams that have had declared aces that have won, and I've been a part of teams that didn't and still won. I think you got to always remind yourself it's 162. It's great to plan for October, but it doesn't do you a lot of good if you don't get there. That was John Mosaloc yesterday talking about the need for an ace or the lack of need for an ace, depending on your perspective. Alex, I think this is one of those conversations that we've had a number of times where It's a philosophical difference that we have with the team and the way that they operate. They believe that you need to prepare for the 162 and then figure out the the crapshoot that is October when you get there. We believe there are ways that you can prepare your team going into the season to be better suited for October while also planning for 162. And I think there are certain teams that have seen that. Like the Phillies are a team that is built for 162, but also when they get to the playoffs, because they have those front end starters, you know they're going to be prepared for that as well. Now, the biggest thing you need at that point is just a lockdown bullpen, a dynamite bullpen. We've seen that for basically every team that goes on to win in the playoffs. But we've seen in the last seven, eight years, really the, the number one criteria you need is do you have that guy that dude at the front end of your rotation that can carry you. And right now, the answer for the Cardinals is a resounding no. They do not. And unless they add Snell, Glass now, Cease, I'm not sure they can find y- Yamamoto, but I'm starting to get more and more skeptical. I, I don't think that's going to happen. So it, one of those three guys, I think, almost needs to be added to that rotation. And you noticed I did not mention Sonny Gray because I don't think Sonny Gray is good enough at this point to be at the front end of your rotation. He's not a number one. I've said that all along. If he is the best starter that you sign and your second best starter is Miles Michaelis, you're light. I don't think you're prepared to win in October. So for me, Snell, Glassnow, Cease, those are the guys that the Cardinals should be targeting at this point. Alex, I know you are frustrated, and when you heard that, you texted me and T-Bone yesterday saying, are you kidding me with this again? What did you hear when you heard Mo talking about the need for a number one or lack of? That it's been the same thing that this organization has run with over the last five years. We just got to be good enough to get into the postseason, and then who knows what happens. And I'm sorry, you just can't do that. Yes, I understand Mo's statement of you can't plan for October if you don't get there. Guess what? If you plan for October, 
you're expected to be there. Like Philadelphia doesn't go into an offseason and say, well, you know what? We were just got to plan for 162. No, they plan on how they can be dominant from 1 to 162 so that they can run the table on the postseason. The same can be said about the Texas Rangers. Same can be said about the Houston Astros. The same can be said about the Atlanta Braves. When I look at the the top-heavy teams in Major League Baseball, they don't plan to just make the postseason. They plan to win in the postseason. And this Cardinals mindset of, well, we got we can't worry about October if we can't even get there. You've spent so many assets on this offense to build it to be a postseason run team. You've got Arenado and Goldschmidt. You've hit on your prospects. You've got the key asset pieces to get there. You've traded away so many things on your pitching staff so that you can upgrade in other areas. And now you're falling short. And when you've got this opportunity in front of you to say, we've got the offense in place, we've got the young pieces that are coming up, but it's time to look at this and say, we need to be a postseason team. It's frustrating when the team that you support says year after year after year after year, we just got to be good enough to get to the postseason. Somebody on the text line said, guys, the last two years, Philly's been great in terms of their number one starter. But before that, there were plenty of bad years the last 12 years for in this scenario. I, I don't agree. And look, like if you want to look for the one-off, it's the Rangers, what they were able to do this postseason with Nathan Avaldi as the number one guy. He is very much in the Sonny Gray realm. If you think Sonny Gray can be a number one starter in the postseason for a World Series team, you probably point to Nate Evaldi as the evidence as to why that can take place. I would then, though, say I think that's the outlier. I think the outlier is Evaldi and the Astros with Valdez, the Braves with Freed, the Dodgers with Kershaw, the Nationals with Scherzer, the Red Sox with Price, the Astros with Verlander, the Cubs with Lester, the Royals with Cueto, the Giants with Madbum two separate times, the Cardinals with Carpenter, the Giants with Lincecum. That is the trend. I just gave you every World Series winner since 2010. All of them had legitimate number one starters until this year. So right now, you can't even make a case for the Cardinals that they have that guy. If Yamamoto's here, he fits that criteria, potentially, if he lives up to expectations. If you go get Blake Snell, based on what we saw from him last year, he's capable of being that guy. If you go out there and add uh, Glass now, I think he's capable of being that guy, and he fits more into like the Jacob deGrom type of a route, right, where you don't know what you're going to get from him, but if he's out there... God, is that guy good. Dylan Cease, potential to be that. He was top three in the Cy Young voting a couple of years ago. Young arm that has all of the potential in the world. You can still go out there and acquire what you need, but you have to do it. You cannot go light on the number one starter and then say to yourself, well, we're going to win with death or depth. Excuse me. Gonna win, gonna win with death. death. They're going to win with depth the way that nobody else has. They just don't do this. And then I don't want to be sold that, hey, we'll go get that guy at the deadline. No, you're not. They don't do that. The Cardinals do not win auctions in the offseason, and they sure as hell don't do it in the in the regular season at the deadline when you got to go out there and pony up big-time assets for what is likely two months of a number one starter. I don't want to hear that because they do not do that either. So when we think about all of that, Alex, the Rangers once again come back into the fold because they're the team that won the World Series last year. How does the Cardinals' current rotation compared to what the Rangers put together for opening day of last year. Now, this is different than what they had at the end of the season, because by the end of the year, they had traded for Max Scherzer and they had traded for Jordan Montgomery, but that was not the rotation they went into the season expecting. Their 
opening day rotation, including Jacob deGrom, Nate Evaldi, John Gray, Martin Perez, and Andrew Heaney. Alex, the Cardinals do not have somebody right now that even compares to Jacob deGrom. Let's set aside the number one starter because that is something that is still a need, and we all agree with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Two through five, it's actually probably closer than I think a lot of people would expect. Based on their last three seasons ERA, and I'm going 2020 to 2022 for the Rangers so prior to this season versus the last three seasons ERA for the Cardinal starters, Avaldi was at a 3.8, Michaelis 4.1. Gray was at a 4.6, uh, Lynn is at a 4.2. Perez 3.7, Matt's 4.0. Heaney 4.7, Gibson 4.5. You could have your qualms here or there, but overall, if you were to put those into a, a simulator, I, I would guess they would come out with the same ERAs for their 2 through 5 versus the Cardinals 2 through 5. The difference, of course, is they had Jacob deGrom. And it didn't work out. It ended up being a massive bust for them in year one of that contract, but they tried, dude. They tried to find that number one starter, and then when that didn't work, they were aggressive yep. and tried for two more guys that could at least figure into that mix of being a number one or two starter for them. And that's the problem. That's what the Cardinals have to do. They yep. have to go get that thing where it's like, this is the piece that can put us over the top. And if they do, we'll look at this a little differently, but they have to go do that now. Yeah, that that that's the problem, because if they don't get that top guy and they get somebody who you're hoping becomes a number one or if they go after Tyler Glass now and he can't stay healthy or he doesn't give you the innings you expected, what you can't do is throw your shoulders up and say, well, it was a bad season. And that, unfortunately, is how I feel about this Cardinals team. They're going to do what they deem available to them in the offseason. And then when it doesn't work, they throw the shoulders up and say, well, what would you guys want us to do? They're not aggressive with it. And what really bothered me yesterday, Alex, and... Maybe this is unfair by me, and I'm, I'm hearing one thing and he's saying another. Maybe it's my interpretation that's wrong here. But when Mo said these are two guys that wanted to be here and other guys maybe want to be elsewhere, it's your job to convince them that they should want to come here. Your job is to change their mind. And you can't do that with everybody. But, like, for example, if, if they thought Sonny Gray preferred Atlanta, well, sell his ass. Sell him on the fact that instead of going to Atlanta, where they're going to offer you $23 million, come to St. Louis, we'll give you 26 right? And, like, is that an overpay? Absolutely. But would you rather have Sonny Gray or Lance Lynn and um, Kyle Gibson? I personally would rather have Sonny Gray in that scenario. But, I, I again, I do understand what they're trying to accomplish here with the innings. I get it. I disagree with it. Philosophically, we're just on completely disaligned with that. I probably fall more into what Mike Schultz would tell them is what they're trying to do. And I would get fired as a result of it. But what they need to start doing is reaching and saying, you know what? This is not typically what we would do, but it's time for us to change organizationally. We have to try something different. And instead, what it seems like they did is they reverted back to what their roots are, which is we're going to be a little more conservative. We're going to go get the innings. We're going to go get the guys that we're comfortable with. We've had Lance Lynn before. We know what he's going to bring to this locker room. We know pretty well what Kyle Gibson is. We've been interested in him in the past. He's from the area. He really wants to be here. Let's let's go get those. It's easy, man. It's the easy path out as opposed to going out there and really challenging yourself to doing something more. I'm so glad you brought up the comment that he made about not wanting to be in St. Louis. And that also felt like a problem to me. Because, yes, 
every team wants players that want to be in the city. But he's but John Mosaylock, and I hope I'm not paraphrasing with this, but I, if I'm not mistaken, he talked about how money can't be the sole motivator for certain guys. It can, because unfortunately, with those top players, they have 18 other teams calling that they want their services for their roster. And yeah, you know what? You can't call up Blake Snell, who's getting called by all the all these other teams, and say, well, we really want you in St. Louis. And he's going to say, well, I'd probably like to play one of these places. Okay, Blake, but would you like to play in St. Louis if I raise the money for right. you? Or what, give you an extra year. Or give you an extra year. Would that change your mindset about being motivated to play for St. Louis? What Mo made it seem like was the first thing they do is call a player and say, hey, do you want to play in St. Louis? And they say, nope, okay, sorry, thanks for bothering, or sorry for bugging you. You can't do that because then you are you are minimizing the entire crop of players that upgrade your team. And then you get to this point where in the spring training season, when you're asked about why you didn't go out there and upgrade your pitching staff, well, we couldn't find guys that were willing to come to St. Louis. Really? Or could you find guys that weren't willing to come to St. Louis because you were offering them the bare minimum compared to what other teams were? Because if you want to be competitive with the Braves and the Phillies, all of these top teams, you're going to have to make St. Louis a sellable asset. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. That is not Tanner Hendrickson. He is Bradford hey, Browns, who is in for Tanner Hendrickson. And He's I'm next. Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, will join the show to discuss what we should expect tonight between the Blues and the Coyotes. But next, it is time for our football pick'em. Frankly, these games don't matter because yeah. Alex has already lost. I He's don't even punished. care. But I'm trying to go for a record in terms of the number of points that somebody has accumulated in uh, one month. I hope Tanner beats you. We'll do that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got Tanner Hendrickson on the line right now because it is time for our football pick'em. Alex, it is the final week of this month's pick'em. It's worth noting, Alex getting punished. It don't matter what happens this weekend. He already lost. He has five points so far through the first three weeks. My God, man. You're really selling the motivation for me to make picks this week. T-Bone has 12 points. I have 16. I'm trying for a record. I'm trying to see if I can get the most points that we have uh, had in one month so far this season. So that is my motivation personally. Alex is trying to avoid having the fewest points that we've had by anybody in any individual month. And because he is currently bringing up the rear, he is the one that gets to make the first selection. So, Alex, for people that are new, you get three picks. Normally, it's Saturday or Sunday. We have opened it up Thursday through Sunday. Wow, even Black Friday. More options available for you. The game just has to be played by the time that we get on the air on Monday morning. And you can only pick a side. It is no props it's no totals anything like that it is against the spread so your one point play is what by the way i think you were shut out like three straight uh, weeks with this but that's fine we won't pretend that one point play uh this will make t-bone happy i'm back in his rams i got it at plus one and a half on the road against arizona you got an nfc west matchup we just saw that the rams can at least keep it competent against an actual better offense with the seattle seahawks I don't think Arizona's any good. I don't think LA's any good, which is why I like the one and a half point spread for the Rams. That's my one point play. 
I like that pick. I really do. I, my one-point play, I'm going to start with college football. It's the best game of the entire weekend. I'm going to Michigan-Ohio State. Best rivalry in college football right now. Give me the Michigan Wolverines minus three. I've been telling you guys all year long this Ohio State team is overrated. They're going to get destroyed this weekend in this rivalry game. Give me the Wolverines minus three against Ohio State. You also told us last week that Michigan was the best team in college football and they didn't cover the spread. You know what? They were sleepwalking against Maryland. They were looking ahead to Ohio State. They're ready. They're they're ready to destroy their rivals this time. They're going to prove they're the best team in college football. All right. So those are their uh, first picks. My first pick, we are going to the NFL slate where I am going to the Sunday afternoon spot, Alex. And I, it's one of those things where I'm going to say the thing out loud that ends up coming back to bite me on Monday morning whenever we're talking again. I don't understand this line. The Eagles are a three-point home favorite against the Buffalo Bills. Explain it to me because that should be what you get simply for playing at home. So what Vegas is telling you is on a neutral site, the Bills and the Eagles are the same team. I just don't believe it. Flatly refuse to acknowledge that to be the case. Therefore, I'm going to take the Eagles minus the three points. They win this one by a touchdown. Give me Philly at home. All right. No, two-point play for me. I am staying in the NFL because we all know how college treated me last week with the stupid Missouri Tigers. I'm taking C.J. Stroud and the Texans plus one and a half against Jacksonville. They already wiped the floor with them once, and I think that this is such a motivation for that Houston Texans team because Jacksonville's the top dog. Jacksonville's coming off of a week where they blew out the opponent. This is going to be a C.J. Stroud game, and I am all aboard that plus one and a half point spread. So Texans at home in that division matchup, yep, taking that. All right, well, I'm going to stick in the NFL for my two-point play. While I'm eating my turkey, having my mashed potatoes, I'm going to be watching the Lions cover a seven-and-a-half-point spread against the Green Bay Packers. Bad idea. Turning myself two more points. Green Bay, or excuse me, Detroit's got to have a bounce back. They almost laid an egg against the Chicago Bears. They're going to be more motivated. They're going to be ready to go on Thursday against the Packers. I like them minus seven-and-a-half. I'm going to the college slate. Alex, you know I'm typically more of an NFL style, but my next two picks will both be in the college slate. I hope you take Mizzou, and I hope they freaking lose. I am not taking Mizzou. I am instead taking the Texas Longhorns. They are going up against Texas Tech this weekend. On Friday, Black oh, Friday. Rivalry game. Kind of. <laughs> Texas Tech is not a very good passing offense. They are, however, quite good at running the football. Here's the problem, Alex. Texas has one of the best run defenses in the entire country. This line, when I saw it last night, was down at 12 and a half. It has jumped up to 13 and a half by the time that we are doing the show today. I loved it at 12 and a half. I like it at 13 and a half. I don't love that it passed through that key number of 13, but I will continue to take the Texas Longhorns. I just think they're a significantly better team. They could not be any more motivated in this spot. It's the last regular season game that they got to win before they get to a Big 12 championship game and eventually, potentially, a college football playoff. Give me Texas minus the 13 and a half. All right, three-point play. Confident on this one. I know I'm picking up three points. It's that Dallas Cowboys minus 12 and a half. Ooh, that's a big one. Washington has been terrible, and I... We could Sam Howell couldn't get anything going last week, and now you think he's going to be able to get offense going against Dallas? There's no way. I think they're going to easily wipe the floor with this one. I think by halftime, while T-Bone's chowing down on that turkey leg, this game's going to be over. So 12 and a half points, I love it.
my three-point play, I'm going back to the college football slate. And, guys, we've talked about Kentucky a lot. They stink against good teams. If you're a competent football team, you're going to blow past the Kentucky Wildcats. They got the rivalry game against Louisville. Louisville, a top 10 team in the country. Give me Louisville, minus seven against Kentucky. They're going to destroy them. This one's easy. It's easy three points. Your boy's going perfect. I saw a white squirrel while sipping on my coffee this morning. That's a good luck charm. This is six points for T-Bone. All right, my final game that I'm going with is also in the college slate, and it is out in the Pac-12, where Arizona is traveling to play its rival in Arizona State. Guys, Arizona's quietly a really good team, man. They are 8-3 and three on the season. Their three losses have come in overtime against Mississippi State, overtime against USC, both of those games coming on the road, and then a seven-point home loss against Washington. This team's really freaking good. And they are going up against an Arizona t- State team where their starting quarterback, Alex, has thrown 250 passes this season. Do you know how many touchdown passes the starting quarterback at Arizona State has thrown this year. Touchdown passes on the year. 12. One. Get the hell out of here. Their starting quarterback <laughs> That's has embarrassing. thrown one touchdown pass and four interceptions on the season. Overall, their starting quarterbacks, they've had four of them, have thrown seven touchdowns and 12 interceptions. This is a passing game that has a whole lot of nothing going for it. And much like with Texas, Arizona is an excellent run defense. I think Arizona wins this one running away. So give me the Arizona Wildcats minus the 10 and a half points on the road at Katie Wu's Arizona State. Sun Devils, they're going to get absolutely shellacked this week. Give me your best me Wildcat Arizona. impression. How do we do? Jesus. Again? How do we do? Sounded like a kitty cat. Oh, they are a cat. They're in the feline. Um, I'd, I'd like a little bit more aggressive one. Tebow, give me your Wildcat. That was pretty good. That was good. <laughs> it sounded like a, a pissed off kitty cat, but I liked it. <laughs> no, it's. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like something I hear on Nickelodeon. <laughs> T-Bone, how do you feel about your picks, my man? Oh, I know I'm going to go perfect. I know this is a perfect six points. I know you're going to lay an egg just like the Cardinals have so far this offseason. I know I'm going to be in first place on Monday. Yeah, I don't believe that yeah. at all. You T-Bone, know enjoy, s- your, enjoy your vacation, man. Get out of here. Thanks, guys. See, See you, T-Bone. See That's T-Bone. You know going to suck. Joining us live for a uh, few minutes as he's checking out the white squirrels in only a little I'm going to get all of mine right, and you guys are going to lay the egg, and it's going to be it won't a one-point loss. It won't matter. That's going to piss me off. Hey, man, been there. <laughs> Trust me, been there. God. Coming up next, oh, I don't even. Chris Kerber, the voice stupid. of the blues here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by the voice of the blues. He's Chris Kerber here on the show. Curbs, in the last segment, we did a, a wildcat sound. I don't know if they do anything down in Arizona for the coyotes, but do you have a, a good wildcat growl for us? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> they do howling. Come do on, they, man. It's they coyotes. They here in Arizona. They, they definitely do have can a you, howl. Can like you this. imitate it for us? I've never been to their arena where they've where they've had that going on. I'd, I'd like to, but then you're, it's going to ruin my open for the broadcast tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. See, this is why you got to you got to stay tuned in for 8 o'clock because that's where the right. howl comes into play. You know what? If you do that for me tonight, Curbs, <laughs> I will allow you to get off the hook for this one. That is a more than okay. fair trade for me. <laughs> 
Curbs, that, that, that sounds good. Curbs, I'm, I'm a little disappointed in you, though. You, you you post a picture of you with mullet arena behind you, and you don't go find a mullet wig somewhere to put on? Uh, You know what? Yeah, that's true. No, I didn't bring a mullet. Uh, to the, I think the first game that they had here, they did that, where they had a bunch of fans wearing it out there. But, yeah, no, uh, walking up that 1,500 feet to the top of that little hill was enough that, uh, you know, I did – I, I, I didn't need the mullet, uh, you know. Curbs, are you to, still to, walking? <laughs> Curbs, Curbs yeah. you sound like you're walking down from that hill right now. <laughs> I'm looking up at it going, it was a steeper walk than I thought. <laughs> at what point of the 1,500 walking, feet actually, going right now, up did you see? from the arena. Oh, okay, good. Back from so still walking. Right now. That's why you're here in traffic. Right? At, at what point in the 1,500 feet were you like, ah, oh, this might have been a mistake? <laughs> but. 10 feet in. It's going to say the first step, like, oh, no, this is a bad idea. I need to turn around and go back. All right, Curbs, let's talk a little bit about these Blues. It looks like they're shaking up the lines a bit uh, going into tonight's game. Uh, what do you think of the combinations that they're going with uh, for t- for tonight? Yeah, I like what they're doing here. Uh, you know, I said on, on the podcast uh, after after the L.A. game that I, I, I really felt that an area for the St. Louis Blues to focus on right now is their right wings, top to bottom. Um, you know, you need more production out of Jordan Cairo. And there was a couple of games where some of those turnovers were, you know, where he was skating himself. You could tell he was trying really hard. He was skating himself into, some, unfortunately, some bad ice where he's just got to get rid of the puck and it's going right to the other guy. So that was on that one. Uh, you, you look at that at that second line, they move Kapanen down. Kapanen, I think, has been very consistent and good. You know, but in that top six role, you want to see if there's more production there. Okay, so they move him down to the third line role. Uh, Verana, who's going to be a scratch tonight. You know, Craig Berube just said, look, he's got tremendous uh, skating. He's got a really good shot. He said the bottom line, though, is we don't see the work. He needs to work harder. Instead of waiting to score, he needs to work to get the puck. So he's going to be a scratch tonight. And then, you know, you've seen Jake Neighbors, and Craig just told us uh, before we left the arena that he's, that Jake has earned the right to move up in the lineup. He's earned the right to get some power play time. So we'll see how that goes. So I, I like what they're trying to do on that right side to try and figure out a little better combinations and find a little more consistency in production. Curves, so many people, you know, they ask, like, oh, what does Verona do to need to stay in the lineup? He's got such a good shot offense like you just talked about. You said Craig Berube talks about the work. But this team and the structure that they play – it does seem that if one person's not on board with the other four guys that are on the ice, the entire system just falls flat. It's, it's exactly right, Alex. If, if you don't have everybody basically on the same page, it can actually snowball into several shifts in a row where the other team, you know, gets momentum all because of say one turnover, you know? So, you know, like I was talking to Jake, for example, today about playing with Braden Shen and he said, you know, when we're on the fourth line, he goes, sometimes your role is just let's see who can who can forecheck better. You or the other team's fourth line. And then he but the thing he said was, and then leave the puck in a great spot for the next line. If you've got a line that doesn't leave the puck in a good spot, it can really screw things up for everybody else. And the the bottom line is when you have the speed of Verana, when you have the skill of Verana, this is a system that can work really well for you. And he's given a tremendous opportunity playing in top six minutes at times. And then also in that on that third line, and for the second time this season now, he's going to be a healthy scratch. Because and, and and this is this is not my my word. This is Craig Berube's words. We need more work out of him, and and that's that's where it's at. 
We're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Kerbs, we were talking earlier today about the, the importance of these games against divisional opponents. And the next three, before we come back on the air on Monday, will be against the division, Arizona, Nashville, Chicago. And then on Tuesday, they've got another one against Minnesota. And all of these teams are the ones right now in the standings that are right behind the Blues. Curb so far this year, I don't need to tell you this. You certainly have have been in attendance for them. The Blues have not been great against the Central Division opponents. What do you need to see differently in this stretch of games that hasn't happened thus far against the Central? Well, I, I think you have to break it up a little bit through the beginning of the year into where they are now. I sure. think you need to see more of what you saw against Arizona in the last game, the 2-1 to victory. And then, then you need to see kind of uh, the, the same kind of thing you saw in Anaheim in that last game. So you're right. This is a really important kind of early season stretch here as you go to the 20-game spot. You're, you enter the day today in the top wildcard spot. You're four points out of second, right? You're still within range of first, to be honest with it. Dallas, you know, jumped another two points up just the other day. But you, you look at this stretch of hockey, you know, and if you go back to the Colorado game, it was beginning a stretch of 11 games where eight of those games are on the road. So, number one, you got to fix your road game. You've got to find a way to win on the road. But you got through with wins against Colorado and Tampa. It didn't go right in San Jose. You kind of thought that LA is, LA is a better team right now. So, that one didn't, you know, go well. But that one wasn't unexpected. You rebounded well against Anaheim. Now you've got four straight games inside the division against teams that are all below you. Then you add Buffalo to that mix. That's another team below you in the standings. You, you, you put all this together, and it's an important stretch where you just have to play sound, safe, smart hockey. This team is not a flashy team. This team is not a team that, uh, you know, that's going to run up the score all the time. They've got to play like we were just talking about with Verona and what Craig Ruby is looking for. They've got to play that style. And if they do, they can be successful because none of the teams you're playing right now in this stretch of hockey are burning it up either. So it, and, and I guess Craig Ruby's words were perfect when he said, look, for right now, we just can't beat ourselves. If we don't beat ourselves, we'll be fine. And, and I think he's absolutely right. Uh, Curves, Joey and I are going to talk about this later tonight on, on pregame, but I put the tweet out after that Anaheim Ducks t- uh, game that the Blues are 3-0, or 8-0 when they lead after the second period, and they've outscored their opponent 13-3. How important of a building block for this team moving forward is it that they have found the confidence in eliminating their opponents in the third period when leading? Honestly, Alex, I, I think that the confidence – has been great all season long from a defensive standpoint. I think they focused on it. So not even just the third period, but in the first and second periods as well. I think that, and and I thought a key to this season was going to be, can this team get comfortable winning close games? And, and so far they have done that. They, they've been pretty good in terms of playing close games. So that leads into the third period nugget that you're talking about there. But even talking to Justin Falk saying he was, we've gotten really comfortable in close games knowing what we have to do. And the early seasons, the success they've had has helped them to get to where they are. So put all that together. And, you know, again, this team's playing well defensively and, and they're, they're managing to stay in games as well because of terrific goaltending. So they've got that confidence now late in games. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. We are certainly looking forward to tonight's game between the Blues and the Coyotes. Looking forward to you getting the day off tomorrow for Thanksgiving, and we will certainly be talking with you again next week. All the best to you and yours. Happy Thanksgiving, man. We'll talk with you again soon.
All right, guys. Have a happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there, and uh, we'll talk to everybody tonight from the rink. See you, guys. That's Chris Carver, voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. You'll hear him tonight at 8 o'clock for the puck drop and with a howl. Joey Vitale and a howl. I'm expecting yeah. that. Yeah, Got to have a howl. I, I'll be listening. Yeah. You better text him. If he doesn't do it, you got to text him. Be like, Curbs, where's the howl? I'll, I don't even need to. Yeah. I know he's going to do it. He, he's gonna he's gonna take your demand to heart. It's not a demand; it's a request. And I felt like it was more than fair, he's, considering he decided not to do it right now. You kind of sounded aggressive. No, that's I, why it was a demand. You I, had the tone issue. You know there. what's gonna be aggressive? His howl tonight. That's what's gonna be the aggressive. Blues defense tonight. That's gonna be aggressive. Can't promise that. Yep. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Bradford Bruns, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll hit the rewind coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. Bradford's done a fantastic job for us the last few days filling in for Tanner Hendrickson. T-Bone going to be back in the saddle on Monday with us. We have the next few days off, but there's going to be some best ofs here on the station. You'll hear Alex as well. He's got all of your blues content coming your way. So don't worry if you're somebody that's still going to be working over the next couple of days. You want uh, one-on-one ESPN and more specifically BK and Ferrario with you. You don't have to go far. We'll get you through your weekends. Got you taken care of through the Friday side of things. All right, Alex, to finish things off, we got to talk a little bit more about the Cardinals rotation. They have officially added two starters to the mix. They are expecting to add three starters this offseason to their starting rotation mix. Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson. After I did more research into this yesterday and thought more about it, I I fell into the same place of being frustrated with the way that they went about this. I I disagree with it. I think they should have, instead of signing two guys for you know 22 million bucks, sign one guy for that money. Now, it might have been for multiple seasons, and so maybe they just wanted the flexibility. I, I don't think it was really necessary. You need multiple starters in the future as well. But I would have rather had, for example, uh, somebody like Sonny Gray for multiple seasons as opposed to both Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson for the upcoming year. But they decided not to go that way. And I think the reason why is because they learned a different lesson than I did from last season. Their lesson that they learned was we need depth. We need guys that we can count on at the back end of our rotation to give us 160 plus innings next year. Lynn and Gibson, for all of their faults, and there are many, they will give you that. They take the ball every fifth day. They know how to get through the grind of a 162-game regular season, and they're going to get you deep into games. I know we get a lot of people that are going to text and say, but Ollie won't let him throw deep into games. It's not true. When Ollie had guys that were capable of getting deeper into games, they did it. In fact, there were some games where you could have been critical and it would have been fair of them leaving guys in too long when it came to their starting pitching. Michaelis regularly went 100-plus pitches. Montgomery regularly went 100-plus pitches. Their problem was they had too many guys that got to 100 pitches in the fourth and fifth inning because they weren't efficient with their pitches. These guys are. So I understand why they went this route, Alex. I just frankly disagree with it. I think they made a mistake here. Yeah, I mean, I just, to me, it's hard for me to understand, and maybe it's because I'm a bonehead with this and I don't understand it, but it's hard for me to understand the reasoning behind wanting guys who can be fours and fives to provide depth, but not going good at the top of your rotation 
over getting two really solid guys at the front end of your rotation and then signing a couple of dudes for little to nothing towards the end of the offseason before spring training that can give you that depth. Because if you're so certain that Zach Thompson and Matthew Libertor and McGreevy and Graceffo and these guys are going to be ready for you soon, then that could have been the depth. And you wouldn't have had to be so stern on getting the depth if you got the top heavy. So that's, I just, I'm looking at two ends of a scale where one end of the scale, you're telling me that having a Lance Lynn and a Kyle Gibson and one really good starter is better for this team to be a potential World Series threat than having a Sonny Gray and a Blake Snell or a Sonny Gray and making a trade for a Dylan Seas. To me, that side of the the way the scale is always going to be heavier because I'm getting the talent at the top and then the back end of it, I can find somebody to come in at the end of the offseason that really wants a job in the majors and can be that sixth guy while I hand the keys over to Zach Thompson and say, let's run with it, kid. Now, what we what we don't know is, is Sonny Gray just set on playing for the Braves? And if he is, then that changes the equation a bit. And I would then say, as a retort, well, then change his mind. I was going to say, why can't you change his mind? Go go out there and give him the godfather offer where he can't refuse, right? Like, maybe that's the thing that you should be trying to accomplish there. But it's possible he just flat out wants to go play in Atlanta. It's close to his home. It's for a legitimate contender. Maybe he's just always had an affinity for the Braves. Maybe he had uh, the pajamas when he was waking or growing up of the Braves, and he grew up in the 90s, and... He just he wants to be a part of the Atlanta Braves history, right? Maybe that's it. That's possible, I suppose. And if that is indeed the case, I mean, I I could see where you would say to yourself, well, Eduardo Rodriguez, Lucas Giolito, are these guys that we really think are like these difference makers? That this is the number two spot in the rotation? Maybe not. And in that scenario, if it's one of those two versus these guys. I could see how you get into this scenario where you prefer what is available on the, you know, the, the scuba or instead of the scuba diving side, the snorkeling side of things. I, but I see, I don't but, like you can't sit here and tell me that, well, Sonny Gray didn't want to play for us and Blake Snell didn't want to play for us and Yamamoto didn't want to play for us. Okay, why? Because you offered them less than other teams that wanted them? Because the top players. They want to be wanted just like Sonny Gray wants to be wanted. But you know how they value being wanted? Paying them what their talent is worth. You can't call up Blake Snell and say, hey, Blakey, uh, we want you here. We'll give you three years and we'll give you $25 million a year. No. Well, I don't want to play in St. Louis. Well, he doesn't want to play in St. Louis. No, he doesn't want to play in St. Louis because you offered him less than what he's valued at. But it might not have been. So, like, a couple of the guys that you mentioned there are a little different conversation than what we're discussing here with... Uh, the the back end starters right like Lance Lynn plus um what Kyle Gibson those salaries are, are not going to get it's not equivalent to what they were potentially going to have to give out for some of these top end starters Yamamoto is going to get way more than what you signed for these two guys uh same thing is true probably for Blake Snell uh, the same thing obviously would have been true for Aaron Nola so those are a little apples to oranges but that tier two level starter that we're talking about with Sonny Gray and Jordan Montgomery and Eduardo Rodriguez, um, Lucas Giolito. Those are the guys that are essentially the equivalents, one of them, compared to what you now sign for your fourth and fifth spot into the rotation. Do How do you feel about those guys 
not named Sonny Gray compared to the two starters that they signed yesterday. Uh, those middle-tier guys over, like, the Lance Lynn, Giolito, Eduardo Rodriguez, those level of starters compared to Lynn plus um, Gibson. Gibson. I mean, I don't, I don't like the idea of um, Giolito. I don't like Giolito because that seems like a reclamation project, and you can't rely on that. But I would take Rodriguez over one of Lynn or Gibson. Over both of them, though. Because I would still you're probably take... going to have to give Rodriguez the same amount of money as you gave to both of the starters that you signed yesterday. Th- th- but that's fine. But Rodriguez's upside is a number three. Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson's upside is best of four. And you're going to be forcing them into be number threes. And that's the problem I have with all of this one. Yeah, really, it comes down to did did Sonny Gray just want to play for the Braves? Was he a a firm no? And because Aaron Nola was a firm no in wanting to go back to Philadelphia, your hands were tied. That is the one out that I would give the Cardinals of saying to myself, okay, I kind of understand how you ended up here because I also wouldn't want to give Eduardo Rodriguez top of the market money. I also wouldn't want to give Lucas Giolito what is apparently going to be like a five-year contract, four-year contract for a guy that I would much be more comfortable on a one-year deal. Some of the projections out there have um, like Michael Walker getting $18 million a year. Would you rather have Michael Walker or the two guys that they signed yesterday? I some of these I can understand going with the two depth pieces as opposed to the one other player. I just continue to come back to, I wish they would have found a way to convince Sonny Gray that he should be the guy. And by the way, now that you have these two, I would not go back to Sonny Gray. Now you got to get the number one. Now it's about shopping for the ace the rest of the offseason. Go out there and get Glass now. Go out there and get Snell. Go out there and get Dylan Cease. If you fail to get any of those three starters, I think it's probably going to be remembered as a disappointing offseason. And guess what? If you're not getting Snell, who you got to give the money to, and you're trading, you're going to be trading something of significance from your offense, and now the scale's going to steer the other direction again because your offense isn't as dominant and your pitching's not going to be that dominant. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Be safe out there. Happy Thanksgiving to each and every one of you. We are thankful for all of you for making what we do possible here at 101 ESPN. So enjoy the, t- t- the time with your family. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.